For those of you who don't know, Danielle Clark is our office assistant here uh, at ECC. She serves faithfully. Danielle and her husband, Brandon, have two daughters, Samantha and Penny. And I found out in our life group the other night that apparently I am contractually obligated whenever I say Penny's name to pronounce it the way that I pronounce it if I see her in the hallway. Which I did not do a couple of weeks ago when I was using Penny from the Big Bang Theory as an illustration. That is why you're going to hear me say it the way I'm about to say it. Last spring, Penny had the lead in the uh, We Are Middle School's production of Peter Pan, and, and many of us from the office went over to see her performance. And I don't know if you remember it or not, but in Peter Pan, every production that I've ever seen, there is this moment where the audience has to get involved. Tinkerbell is in trouble, and we, the audience, must save her by proving that we believe in fairies. How do we prove that we believe in fairies? You clap. That's right. Thank you. Thank you. I remember as a kid watching the television version of this. I think it was Mary Martin was Peter Pan in this. And she would look at the camera and say, come on, clap your hands. And I imagine living rooms all across the country, kids were clapping their hands to save Tinkerbell. Spoiler, Tinkerbell is fine. That kind of audience participation much more is, uh, and much more is something that we see happening in um, the widening, the ever-widening worship scene that unfolds in uh, chapters 4 and 5 of the book of Revelation. In, John t- in uh, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, John was taken through a door in the heavens, right into the throne room of God, where four living creatures and 24 elders surround the throne and worship God. In verse 8 of chapter 4, the four living creatures raise their voices saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And as they do this, the 24 elders fall down before God and worship Him. And they say, in verse 11, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. When Kim and I were on sabbatical in 2021, on our way out west, we stopped in Sedona, Arizona. Spent a couple of nights there. Kim was told by her spiritual director that Sedona was beautiful, but it was only a preview of the things to come once we got to Utah. She was right. Sedona was beautiful, but it could hardly hold a candle to the Grand Canyon, to Zion National Park, to Bryce Canyon that we later saw. It was a preview of coming attractions. The same is true of what we begin to experience in the worship around the throne in Revelation chapter 4. It is beautiful, but it is merely a prelude to a much bigger scene of worship that John has in store for us in chapter 5, our passage for today. It's merely a spoiler for things to come. By the time we get to the last few verses of today's reading, every tribe, every language, every people, every nation will join in. And again, as we tried to show with our scripture reading this morning, uh, with languages from ECC, even then, that was only eight of the estimated 7,139 languages in the world. A preview of what is to come. And eventually that worship will go out even wider to every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the seas. So as we transition now from Revelation chapter 4 to Revelation chapter 5, John tells us about something he sees in the throne room that he hadn't noticed before. Verses 1 through 4 of chapter 5. 
Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. So with this paragraph here, we are introduced to what scholars refer to as the first of three cycles of sevens. Three cycles of sevens. Seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. The scroll in the right hand of the one who sits on the throne is God. And God's right hand symbolizes God's power to bring both judgment and salvation. The scroll would have been a rolled up piece of parchment, wrapped with seven strings, and then sealed with a soft piece of clay or wax or even lead. And in the coming chapters, each of these seals will be opened, and with each opening, something really dramatic happens. The first six seals are all open in chapter 6. We'll start that next week. Before we get to all that, however, a mighty angel cries out back in chapter 5, who is worthy to break the seals and to open the scroll, but no one immediately answers. And John is distressed. How will we know God's plan? How will we know what God expects of us if no one is worthy to open the scroll? But all hope is not lost. John continues in verse 5. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. The one who is worthy and able to open the scroll is called the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. These two titles come from Genesis 49 and Isaiah 11, respectively. In Genesis 49, Jacob, the patriarch, is blessing each of his sons just before he draws his last breath. And then he gets to Judah and he says this. You, Judah, you are a lion's club, Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his." From this, we get the title, The Lion of the Tribe of Judah. This picture of a lion-like ruler to come from Judah was understood as a prophecy about the coming of the Messiah. The elder also mentions the root of David from Isaiah 11.1, which says that a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, King David's father. The Messiah, then, is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the only one worthy to break the seals and to open the scroll. So in, in Revelation 5, verses 1 through 5, John saw the scroll in the right hand of the one on the throne. In this second section, verses 6 through 10, John sees something he didn't expect again. The elder said what the lion, that, that the lion was worthy to open the scroll. The elder said that the lion was worthy to open the scroll, but that's not what we get. Verse 6, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Now, first, it is incredibly important that even though John heard that a lion was worthy to open the scrolls and break the seals, what we see, what he saw, was a lamb, not a lion. He heard 
that a lion was worthy to open it, but he sees a lamb. And in fact, never again in the book of Revelation after this point is the lion of the tribe of Judah mentioned. Now it is only and always the lamb. The lion has become the lamb. We hint at this in the title slide, if you've been paying attention, I'm sure many of you have, that in the surface of the reflection of that puddle or pool of water beside the lamb, you see the reflection of the lion. Jesus is king of kings, but he does his work not by power, not by might or force or violence, but by going the way, living the life of the sacrificed Passover lamb. The power of the lamb is the power of self-sacrifice. And it is the model by which the followers of the Lamb are called to live, even as we have seen so far in Revelation, even to the point of death. And this point is made even clearer when John says that the Lamb looks as if it had been slain. This is is not to say that the Lamb only looked like it had been slain, but it wasn't. No, this this is a way for John to express surprise that the Lamb who was slain, the Lamb who was put to death, has risen. Like a lamb, Jesus was led to the slaughter. He willingly went the way of the cross, the way of suffering, even to the point of death. And yet he came out on the other side victorious. And he now stands at the center of the throne where God is, encircled by the four living creatures and the 24 elders. The lamb has seven horns and seven eyes. This is highly symbolic language. The seven eyes are the sevenfold Holy Spirit that we have talked about several times. And the seven horns symbolize kingship and power and honor and his ability to save. But he saves by following the way of the lamb, by his own self-sacrifice, not by military or political might. He has conquered death by dying willingly and faithfully. He is our example of how we are to live. The Apostle Paul celebrates this seeming contradiction between suffering and sacrifice and victory when he writes in Philippians 2 that we who follow Jesus are to have the same mindset as he, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In other words, the Lamb who was slain and was obedient to the point of death now stands at the center of God's throne, exalted to the highest place. Revelation 5, verses 7 and 8, the Lamb takes the scroll from God. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fall down before the Lamb. And the worship service that began in chapter 4 begins to ripple out in ever-increasing waves of intensity and praise. In the remaining verses of this chapter, that worship rolls outward like, like concentric, circular shock waves, the kind you might see in a science fiction movie. Boom! And it just kind of echoes out. 
first over thousands upon thousands of angels, then 10,000 10 times 10,000, finally every creature on earth. Talk about audience participation. I also learned this week that Taylor Swift's concert movie is breaking records, that it is the most audience participatory film ever. Probably since, this will date me, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> Moviegoers are singing and dancing in the aisles. Many of the fans love this kind of behavior and, and the experience, as you can imagine. But some do not. One person urged people to be considerate of other moviegoers, saying, quote, Cinema sound is not even a fifth as loud as concert speakers. We want to hear Taylor, not off-key fans. <laughs> to which the more rowdy fans replied, Haters going to hate, shake it off. In verses 9 and 10, then, the 24 elders and the four living creatures continue their worship of the Lamb, John writes. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. This song celebrates at least three important realities. It celebrates the authority of the Lamb, Christ, to open the scroll and read its contents. It celebrates the redemptive work of God in and through the death of the Lamb, who has purchased us from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And it celebrates not only our salvation, but our vocation. It celebrates not only our salvation, but our vocation. Our calling is those who have not only been saved from something, namely judgment, but for something. God in Christ has made us to be a kingdom and priests, the song says. To, to say that we are a kingdom is to say that we live under God's authority, not Caesar's, not that of the empire. And we are to identify ourselves not primarily as Americans or Republicans or Democrats. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. We serve Jesus. We pledge ultimate allegiance to Jesus. We follow the way of the Lamb. And we celebrate and worship the Lamb, not just because we have been forgiven and promised eternity with God, but because we have a place in God's kingdom to reign and to serve and to contribute to the work of God. We are not mere spectators. We are players on the stage. We are soldiers in a different kind of war. Or as the Apostle Paul puts it, we are all members of the very body of Christ, and we each have a part to play. To say that we are priests is to say that we represent God to the world, and that in and through our prayer, we bring the world and its needs to God. This is a big part of why we chose to call our third ECC Chestone presence. In Christ, we are priests. We are priests. Because we believe God created us to reflect His image in the world. We become the loving presence of Christ to our neighbors, near and far, known and unknown, relationally, practically, emotionally, and spiritually. We are, as 1 Peter 2.9 says, a royal priesthood. That is, we and Christ in us are present to our neighbors. We bear witness to the Lamb who was slain, but is alive and victorious. We bring Christ to the people, and we bring the people to Christ. 
This is not just about our salvation. It is about our calling. It is about our vocation. It is about our participation in the mission. The worship that began with 24 elders and the four living creatures encircling the Lamb now spreads outward even further. Verses 11 and 12. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. This impromptu worship now includes literally myriads upon myriads of angels added to the voices and worship of the four living creatures and the 24 elders. In both of these two songs to the Lamb, the fact that the Lamb was slain is vital. The fact that the Lamb was slain is vital. This is Jesus, the one who died on the cross, not only to save us, but also to model for us a way of life for all those living under the thumb of Rome. For all those, even today, who live under the threat of empire. We, too, are to go the way of the Lamb, the way of self-sacrifice and serving, and, if necessary, the way of death. But the worship is not done. It continues to ripple outward and to grow in numbers, in intensity, and in decibels. Now, every creature on earth gets in on things. Audience participation has reached an intensity, the likes of which we have never seen, not even in a Taylor Swift concert. For God's work in Christ is not only focused on human beings, but on the redemption of all of creation. This is not only about our opportunity to live for eternity with God. It is about the recreation of a new heavens and a new earth that we will see nearly to the end of the book of Revelation. And this reality that this is where we are headed washes over us and draws us all into worship. John then tells us what he saw in verses 13 and 14. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. In the next chapter, the Lamb will begin to open the seals on the scroll. Those of you who are waiting for the wackier part of Revelation, it starts next week. (laughs) And with each broken seal, dramatic things happen. The four horses of the apocalypse will ride forth and painful and difficult things will follow in their wake. But Jesus and John have given us this moment, this moment, chapter 4, chapter 5, to look behind the veil, to see and participate in the worship of God and the worship of the Lamb at the center of the throne. How are you and I to respond to this vision of all creation gathered around and worshiping the Lamb? How are we to live our lives centered around the Lamb? We take our cue from those to whom John first wrote, the seven churches that we covered in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, they were 
these readers, these members of these churches were tempted to give up or give in, to compromise their faith, to compromise their discipleship in order to win friends and, and the favor of the empire, or, or possibly to save their lives. They were repeatedly told not to compromise, but to give their fullest possible allegiance to Christ, the Lamb, and to walk faithfully and to follow His lead regardless of the consequences. Now, if that is true of them, if that is true of these believers in, first century, in the first century Roman Empire, how much more is it true for you and me? So let me close with a few questions for prayer and reflections. I've put them in the Bible app, live event. You can download it. You can click on more and then events and look for our church name there, and you'll find a whole lot of resources when you do that. As those who are called to worship the Lamb and the one who sits on the throne, as those who are called to center our lives around the Lamb, who stands at the center of the throne, let us prayerfully consider these three questions. Am I walking the way of the Lamb? Am I walking the way of Lamb with humility, with sacrifice, nonviolence, and servanthood? even in the midst of a culture that may violently oppose me at times? Am I walking the way of the Lamb? Do I merely attend worship or do I worship? Do I merely attend worship or do I worship? Am I merely a spectator or am I an active, engaged participant? This goes for whether uh, you are in the room or online. Am I present to God and in step with the Spirit as I sing, as I pray, in my silence, in the hearing of God's Word, in the responding to God's Word, in my giving? Third question. Am I present to the needs of the world? When I leave this place, am I present to the work of the kingdom that God wants to do in and through me? Am I present to my responsibility and my allegiances as a citizen of God's kingdom? Am I present to my calling as a priest in the world? Am I present to my neighbors with the good news of Jesus, with my prayers for them and in practical acts of love and service? Three questions. I encourage you to prayerfully consider them. In a sense... The picture Revelation gives us of worship is a model of what we do each Sunday when we gather here in this room together to worship. While our predicament is certainly not as dire as that of our sisters and brothers in first century Roman Empire, we do still need to be reminded, as did they, that this, this is where we celebrate the victory we already have in Christ Jesus. This is where we celebrate that the Lamb is upon the throne. And this is where we renew our faith that there is a new world coming. For we too live in a beautiful but broken world. A beautiful but broken world that is in need of healing and grace. And even on our best days, we too long for creation to be renewed. Would you join with me in a moment of prayer? I want to allow just a few seconds of silence and 
What I'd like you to do, you can sit at these questions that are on the screen, or <clears throat> you can also simply um, use this time to, in your own life, in your own experience, either personally or as you look at the world scene. We had plenty of things to pray about this morning. What about the brokenness of life, the brokenness of the world, might you want to name as something right now? As we look at what God is doing, as we look at the worship that we have, what might you want to lift up as something that needs God to work, possibly in and through you as a priest? Join with me. God, we invite you to come now in this moment of silence. Speak to us and enable us to speak to you. God, whatever it is that <clears throat> has come to our minds and our hearts, <clears throat> be it personal or something global, we give you these things. We acknowledge that we still live um, with that tension, that we live in a beautiful but broken place, but that we are headed to something incredible, and that in between we suffer. We have to walk the way of the Lamb. God, help us to know how we do that this day, this week, how we can walk and a life that is modeled after the Lamb. Help us to more intentionally engage and participate in our worship of you. Help us, Lord God, to be present to the needs of the world. We cry out to you, God. We cry out to you as those who, like our sisters and brothers in first century Rome, sit in an unfinished place, waiting for re fuller redemption, waiting for the coming of the new creation. Help us, O oh God, to worship you because we know that you are the one who will bring it. In Jesus' name.